It's Monday, April 15th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we are joined by Tim Christ, our manager of Church Partners. Tim will walk us through Acts chapter 15, verses 36, through Acts chapter 16, verse 15. All right, we're picking up our study in the book of Acts in chapter 15, verse 36, and going through chapter 16, verse 15. Here we're seeing Paul and Barnabas discussing another missionary voyage that they're going to take. Shortly after their first missionary journey, we saw them in chapter 15 with the Council of Jerusalem. They're arguing that new non-Jewish Christians would not need to be circumcised and not live a Jewish lifestyle in order to be counted as saved. Their argument was that nothing needs to be added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a simple message of repent and believe. This is the formula that Jesus gave and is the message that Paul and Barnabas had been delivering then from after the Jerusalem Council earlier in chapter 15. And this is the same formula that we're to carry with us as we proclaim the good news today. Now we see Paul and Barnabas in uh, verse 36. It says, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul and Barnabas going on a reunion tour uh, to visit these churches and these brothers and sisters that they had proclaimed the, the gospel to. The idea was to go back and retrace their steps from their first missionary journey from Antioch to Derby and Galatia through Cyprus, doing a spiritual health checkup on these bodies of believers that they had either been able to pour into or churches they had been able to plant on this missionary journey. And it's been an estimated one to three years that have passed since that last trip recorded in Acts chapter 13 and 14. So they decided it was a good time to go and check up on them. Paul and Barnabas had been this amazing team for the Lord and in the mission of the gospel. Together they had shared and they had preached the gospel. They had developed disciples and developed leaders. They had planted churches and they saw lives and eternities changed. As Kent Hughes noted, Barnabas's relational gifts coupled with Paul's immense mastery of the law and his brilliant intellect produced dramatic results. Together, these two would experience blessing of their efforts and blessing of their persecution. And they never dreamed of being anything but ministry partners for life. And if you recall, while on their first journey, they had a young man with them named John Mark. And for whatever reason, John Mark had abandoned the mission and had gone home midstream. And so on this second mission, Barnabas wanted to re-enlist John Mark, who was his cousin, for this journey. And Paul just wasn't having it. So Barnabas was certain that John Mark had changed and that he had learned his lesson and that Mark wanted the opportunity to reprove himself. And any of us that have ever been on the giving end, giving end of any disappointment and letdown, we can certainly relate from John Mark's stance of just give me another chance to reverse that note on my record. But Paul was just not convinced. And, and we can just imagine the disagreement between these two as the encouraging Barnabas tenderly approaches the subject of re-enlisting his cousin while the fiery Paul gazes at him in disbelief that this subject has even come up in the first place. And as they continued through this this heated banter that 
Paul still was not going to give in. And the Greek here indicates that this disagreement was not an instantaneous decision, but that it was not a momentary flash of rage on Paul's part, but that this was something that had carried on for some time. And at this, as this is approached and as it is discussed, they decided it's probably best to separate and to go different ways. This was tough on them that they would have to do this. But nonetheless, uh, Barnabas was convinced that John Mark needed to go, and Paul was convinced that he did not. So they separated, they go apart from one another, and Barnabas, uh, as he stood his ground and Paul stood his, they broke up. This dynamic duo had now dissolved. And with this, the adversary certainly must have thought that he had a victory notch in his belt. But we also see that Mark was not the only guy who would desert Paul on mission, and uh, he would later experience another ministry partner's desertion in Demas. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, to, where it says, Do your best to come see me soon, Paul says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. C.T. Studd, who's a 19th century British missionary to the Congo, would call Demas and John Mark, abandoning brothers, he would call them chocolate soldiers because he says, quote, they dissolve in water and melt at the smell of fire. He called them sweeties, bonbons, and lollipops. But we see that from this, this uh, disagreement also between Paul and Barnabas, the point that Christian unity is sometimes agreeing to disagree, but it should always include grace, which, which means God's grace toward us and and us extending God's grace towards one another. It's expected that we treat one another with grace and forgiveness because those two qualities have been shown to us who are in Jesus. Unity, though sometimes can be a little ugly, it does require the grace of God, God to, be, to move beyond that ugly. Paul and Barnabas, though they disagreed, they embraced the grace of the gospel of Jesus to pull up their big boy pants and they went about their mission. So unity for them meant going separate ways. That's okay because sometimes plans change. And when they do, sometimes these plans change for God's glory. And know that God's grace should always trump any hurt feelings that we might have. We also see them doing this when they when they separate. They don't go at it alone, but, but they they grab a teammate. And so ministry is meant uh, a lot of times to be done with someone as a team sport. It's, it's not always called to be a solo activity. So when, whenever possible, we go at this together. We see another point here in that, that though your plans change, my plans change, all hope is not lost. And as humans, we are naturally just control freaks. Every single one of us have some degree of control freak in us. It was no different for Paul and for Barnabas as each man wanted their own way. Uh, God obviously was working a different plan than the one that they had composed. Know that our hope is in Christ. Our hope is never in ourselves. If our hope is in ourselves, then we, we, we're going to let ourselves down. We're going to let others down. Jesus will not do that. And we don't know how much time passed here from this argument to action. But what we see is that their hope was in Christ. And so they were able to go their separate ways. They were both able to get up and to dust themselves off and to get to work because they knew where their hope was. So not only did the personnel plan change here for, for both Paul and Barnabas, but directionally the plan changed as Paul, um, especially on Paul, as he was preparing to leave Antioch, uh, Barnabas would set sail to the Southwest and go to Cyprus, but Paul would journey to the North. So God had a much 
grander plan for the work of both Paul and Barnabas and that where we saw the two of them that were strong, they were able to now come along, have someone else come alongside them and, and, and disciple them. And now four are even stronger. So there they were headed in different directions and they were doing different ministry that the Lord was still with them and he was still working ahead of them. Uh, Paul had received this direction, unbeknownst to him at the time, for a much greater purpose. And so Paul decides now he's going to recruit Silas. And together that these two men of God head out from Antioch. They're, they are fully strapped up with the armor of God. The same armor that Barnabas and his cousin John Mark would have. As Barnabas and, and John Mark set sail for Cyprus for the sake of the gospel. And Paul and Silas head north for the sake of the same gospel. Now, this would be the last glimpse that we have of Barnabas in Scripture, but that doesn't mean that he had insignificant work. So along the way, Paul and Silas, they meet a young guy by the name of Timothy while they were in Lystra. And Timothy was the son of a Jewish believing mother and a Greek father. And because of his heritage, Timothy had not yet been circumcised. So Paul made sure that happened because he knew that they would encounter Jews along the way. And if they were to do that, they would likely be rejected by the Jews with an uncircumcised Timothy. Now, yeah, they just had come out of the Jerusalem, Jerusalem council and delivering the news that, hey, circumcision is not necessary. But as they went, they knew this salvation by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, was not due to anything else, but that they needed to be able to relate to the people that they were with. So they did that. They, they, we see them take the good news faithfully as they go. And that, and that the Lord used it as he saw fit and as he saw that it was necessary. And as we uh, continue into uh, verse 5 in chapter 16, one of the things that it says that they were able to do through the Spirit's work was that it says this, that so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. They're strengthened in their faith. So when was the last time that you were strengthened in your faith? And I'm not talking about a, uh, a sermon that we hear that we just think, oh, that was so fantastic of a lesson. So wonderful a sermon. And a week later, heck, even an hour later, we don't remember a single thing about it. That's not being strengthened in your faith. This is, this is talking about a spirit-charged, discipleship-equipped, armor-bearing strengthening. It stands the test of time that when we willfully follow the Spirit of God into battle, He'll do amazing things in us and through us and around us. So be strengthened in the Lord, not in man. That's our next point here, to be strengthened in the Lord, not in man. Make the call every day to armor up. Make the call to seek His direction. Make the call to follow it. Spend time with Him as a need, not as a duty. Crave Him. Feast on him. Taste and see that God alone is good. And while you're at it, seek others who will encourage you in his ways. Most of all, most of all, obey him as he sends you. We've already been told what to do. We've been told in the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you, Jesus says. So be strengthened for involvement in a move of God because we know to behold for Christ. He says, He is with us always, even to the end of the age. We have nothing to fear. The only thing we need to have is hope, and that hope in Christ and hope to distribute the gospel. So take the good news from place to place in order to strengthen others. And the next couple of verses in this passage shows you a unique perspective of restricted 
ministry. Paul, Timothy, and Silas now, they're, they're not permitted to speak the gospel in Asia. And we don't, we don't know why. We don't know what God was doing with that, but we just know that the, the scripture says that he restricted them. He held them back from speaking the gospel in this area. So they obviously had to travel through this. If we look on a map and geographically, they had to travel through this region, um, but they must have done so with, with their proverbial heads down. They were headed west, heads down, and, and going where the Lord was directing them. So it may have been uh, a faster journey. It may have been a slower journey. They could have been met with meteorological challenges, logistical challenges, or anything, really. Some say it may have even been through an illness um, that, that this was the, the case, because we're about to see that Dr. Luke joins the pack. As evidenced in verse 10 of chapter 16, by a perspective shift, we see they turn into we. But nonetheless, the mission carried on. Uh, which leads us to another point here in that though, though things may change, right, remain faithful to the mission at hand. We don't know what God's doing. As we mentioned, the plans change, personnel change, friends change, enemies change. But we see this, that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. So when the plans change, shake your head off, shake your head off get up, dust yourself off, whatever you got to do, but keep going. There is still a mission to be carried out. We are God's plan for the fulfillment of this mission. Our mandate is to take the gospel forward with zeal, not allowing our circumstances to dictate our missional endurance. And as Christ followers, our mission has already been dictated to us. So we see uh, again that, that Paul uh, in, this, in this passage, he has this vision, a vision of a man in Macedonia one night. So he has this this dream, this vision, he sees this guy, and in the vision, this man says, come to Macedonia and help us. So after he had seen this vision, it says that he immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice that perspective shift, meaning Luke was there. So we don't have a clue what had gone on when he had, when he had this vision, but we uh, can imagine traveling with Paul, who was a devout, God-following, uh, super intelligent and determined man, and he received this vision. And you might, you might think that, man, at this point, they were maybe a little tired. You might be a little tired. I would be a little tired. The next thing we know, though, Paul's dream becomes a reality, and it becomes our new top priority as he gets up, and he is charging us to get up at once. They, we have to go to Macedonia. I've seen a vision from God, and we're to go there now. We don't know if it was the next morning. We don't know if it was the middle of the night. But what we know is that immediately Paul saw that this was something that God was calling them to do. So our next point here is that the gospel deserves our unprecedented urgency, much like it received from Paul and company here. And one thing to seriously note and to praise in this as a sidebar is that Paul, when Paul gathered the crew and headed towards Macedonia, this may seem like a small footnote, but this is a pivotal moment for all of us because from Macedonia, the gospel spread into Europe and from Europe, the gospel spread to the United States. So for all of us that are hearing this, we should praise God that Paul was so obedient and urgent to, the, to follow this vision and this dream because it is through this that the gospel spread to the rest of the world. How amazing is that? This one act uh, helped us to hear the gospel today. We have heard and we have believed partly as a result of this. So from there, from where they were, they got up, they set sail, uh, and they headed, headed off to the west. They had gone uh, 
set sail uh, we're going to see to Neapolis uh, and and then an eight mile walk to Philippi. And so Philippi was a major city in Macedonia. It was established as a Roman colony that answered only to the Roman emperor. But due and due to its being a Roman colony under direct Roman rule, uh, the soldiers actually re retired Roman soldiers were encouraged to retire and take up residence in Philippi because the citizens were exempt from Roman provincial taxes. So the task of evangelizing Philippi was great, but our God is so much greater. He had big plans for the city, and that plan was to be one to himself. So as they were there for some day, they had gone, uh, Paul and, and crew had gone to gather with some fellow worshipers. But rather than gathering in the synagogue, which was his custom, they went outside the city gates and sat along a riverside and spoke to a group of women about the good news. Because there was no synagogue in this town for them to attend. In order for a synagogue to be founded, there need to be at least 10 male heads of household, according to the Jewish tradition, that were in this city agreeing to meet together for worship. That obviously was not the case. There was nothing there. So these women gathered to recite the Shema and to pray and to read the law together. So as Paul and crew approached this group, they sit down to worship with them. And as was typically done, Paul began to teach the gospel message during this gathering. And we see God do something absolutely amazing and miraculous here. He opens the heart of Lydia, who's a Gentile woman, for salvation. And we see that this salvation was by God, it is of God, and it is not of anything that we do. This salvation happened because God opened the heart of Lydia. Our responsibility is simply to proclaim the gospel message. Our act of obedience is found here in this example. Our act of obedience is not found in a tally count of conversion numbers, but in the sharing frequency of the gospel that we have. Scripture notes Paul's willingness to preach the gospel at all times. And lastly, we see that we cannot underestimate the power of the gospel. Notice what's not on display here. What is not on display is the power of man, but what is shown is the power of the gospel, the Spirit of God at work when we submit to Him and proclaim the good news. God used a vision to send Paul to Macedonia to preach this good news. And through that, the church at Philippi was born through the salvation of Lydia and her extended family. Big things were happening for the kingdom of Jesus. So to close out, we quote Stud one more time. He says that God was never a chocolate manufacturer, and he never will be. And this requires our undivided attention to the gospel at all times. We're to see its power, we're to marvel at its wonder, and to believe in its all-sufficiency. Chocolate melts under pressure, but the gospel thrives under pressure. And we need to be prepared, no matter the circumstance, no matter the cost. Preach the word, be prepared in season, and out of season. And as we go along, obey the Spirit and advance the gospel to the nations. Well, thanks, Tim. And this week, we are praying for our Families Count program. We're praising the Lord for the fruit that we are seeing and that hearts are transformed and that lives are committed anew to Jesus and his gospel. We're praising him for adding churches and volunteers to the ministry and for continually going before us and leading us. We pray that the Lord will send churches that he desires for us to partner with. And we're just grateful for what he was even able to do several weeks ago at the Families Count conference. We pray for the preparation and, and, and safety of these programs at each of these churches who were able to attend. And, and 
Lord, we just uh, pray for those even that had graduated from Families Count who are now leading sessions. We pray for the Lord to anoint his Holy Spirit on them and other speakers that Christ may be exalted in every session. And we pray for the graduating parents who've made decisions to pursue Christ. And we ask that the Lord would give them courage to take the next step to follow him. And we just ask that uh, as families are being reunified and children are being placed back with their families, that those families would stay committed to him, that those families would have a support system, and that those families would stay intact. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to equip the local church to care for biological families who've lost their children to foster care. We just ask that you would uh, be with churches around our nation, that you would raise them up, that you would uh, help them to come around these families in strategic ways. We ask that for all the presenters that you would use their mouths, their lips, their lives, and their sacrifice for the spread of your gospel and your glory. We just ask that these families who've been reunified would stay together, stay intact, and would be used for your gospel and your glory. And Lord, we pray for churches to be awoken to this awesome opportunity to host families in their church, to love on them, disciple them, point them to Jesus, and teach them the important facets of being a good parent. Lord, we thank you for the vision of Families Count. We thank you for Tracy Newell and the ways that she passionately leads. And we just continue to pray that you would surround her and surround our team as we present this very integral program. Lord, we ask all these things in your fantastic and glorious name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you take a moment and drop us a line at info at lifelinechild.org and let us know what you think about the Defender podcast, how we can continue to minister to you and to your family and to your church through this podcast. Maybe there are topics that you would like to hear. Or maybe you'd just like to tell us something you've enjoyed. Uh, if you would right now, email us at info at lifelinechild.org to let us know what you're thinking about the Defender podcast, how we can make it better and relevant topics that you would like to hear. At the same time, would you take a moment to rate us on your favorite podcast listening app, be that the podcast app through iTunes or, or the Stitcher app or whatever podcast listening app that you have. Would you take a moment and just rate the Defender podcast by your ratings? It helps us to be more noticeable by other families and other folks that may want to listen to the Defender podcast, but it also helps us to know that you're enjoying what you uh, are hearing and that you are appreciating the content that we are putting out on the Defender Podcast. Well, thanks for listening to Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.